Isn't that a wonderful story that was just read to us? Wouldn't you like to have been there at the time? I was just thinking that as we heard it. Um, And, of course, it's a song that has been immortalized for me in the words of a Sunday school song, Walking and Leaping and Praising God. My children sang it. We all sang it with great gusto. I remember as a young 20-year-old in my first job going to a wonderful church in the city center of Reading. It was actually the church that I met John. He came as the curate after I'd been there. I spotted her from the pulpit. (laughs) Uh, And um, I remember a snatch of conversation with the church warden's wife. It went something like this. She said, we've just had our piano tuned. The piano tuner is blind. And our young daughter, who's been in Sunday school, of course, and probably singing, walking and leaping, praising God, looked at the piano tuner as he was doing his work and eventually said to him, Jesus could heal you, you know, and make you see again. And she was telling me this, and she said, what do you say to children? And I found myself thinking, I'm very conflicted inside because although I thoroughly believe that this happened in the New Testament times, and I love the story in the Bible, I've never seen it happen now. Does Jesus still do that sort of thing? And how do you explain that to the children? And to be honest, it wasn't for, until years later that I began to see that actually Jesus is still doing that now. And um, some of the conflict within inside me was beginning to be resolved. And that highlights one of the tensions that we all have when we read the Bible. And we compare it to our experience. Which do we really believe? Do we leave the Bible, stories of what Jesus is able to do, Or do we believe our experience, which for those of us brought up in the Western world in the 20th century, means that actually we don't see any miracles, the like of which we just read. And so what we tend to do is we believe our experience rather than what we read in the Bible. And so part of what we're trying to do today is say, let's look again fresh at this and think around what it might mean if Jesus was still alive, which he is, and still doing these sort of things in, in our world today. Now, I'm not sure whether I've got this thing operating at the moment. I have. It's on its way now. So let's look at the context we're in for immediately for a moment. We were given the title, Kingdom Weapons Healing. And, of course, we're living right now in a moment which none of us had anticipated being now, namely the war of Ukraine. Weapons to fight a war are basically on our screens every day at the moment. And it's horrifying what they do. Except, on the other hand, if you're defending your freedom and your country, the weapon is the only thing you have to fight with. So we realize in some circumstances, weapons are critical. Kingdom weapons, healing. The big context in which all humanity lives is the context of a spiritual battle, not just a battle between two nations. And it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly realms. That's the context in which we're talking about healing. There is a war on. And the first casualty of war is truth. So right now, Russia is held in a propaganda war which says there is no war. Remarkably, much of the church in the Western world is still a little bit propagandized in the same way. It lives and it practices its faith as if there is no war. This is the reality. There is a war, there is a battle on, we need to understand and use the weapons of our warfare. And that was something that I think I didn't realize and that the Lord has enlightened me on, that healing, that wonderful gift, is actually the Lord's weapon for us. And it's very different from the bombs that we're watching horrifyingly on television. The reality is we all know, and we'll celebrate it afresh in a few weeks' time, Jesus has come to fight the battle, and he's won the battle. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil is at work. The question is, is God going to do anything about it? The answer is yes, he has already done something. Jesus has come and taken on even humanity's last enemy, which is death itself. The tomb was empty, and on Easter Day, hallelujah. But this is about a war, friends. It is about a war. And one of the questions which we're all asking is, how is it going to end? And that's one of the interesting things that we listen to on the radio and the television. This is the wonderful thing about the war that is, has been waged over humanity in the big context of the spiritual war that we're in. We know the end. We've read the last chapter of the book, and it ends well. And this is the uh, wonderful... Uh, verse that you probably know from the end of Revelation, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We don't need to live in fear because we've read the end of the story, but we do need to get on with what's happening right now. But we look forward to the day of heaven coming when Jesus winds everything up And we all know that heaven is a sickness-free zone. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. So you remember how the Bible finishes, come Lord Jesus. When we see the reality of the future that God has prepared, we long for him to return to end the war as we're now experiencing it. But our prayer is not just for Jesus to return in order that we might enjoy the wonder of the new heaven and new earth. When the disciples asked Jesus how they would pray, how they should pray, he answered them in the very familiar words, which we've all prayed many times in our lives probably. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can join in if you like. May your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, in that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, there is a longing that something of the future would break into the present now. Something of heaven would come down to earth now. So without knowing it, for me, for many years, I was praying for healing on earth without realizing I was praying for healing because I was praying the Lord's Prayer. But that is contained within that prayer. Now when you add to that... It says, hallowed be your name. And one of the names by which God makes himself known in the Old Testament is, I am the Lord who heals, Jehovah Rapha. When we pray, hallowed be your name, 
we're saying we want you to be known as the God who heals. And we're wanting that now. Jesus taught us to pray that we'd see something of that happening on earth today, even as we know one day everything will be fixed in heaven. So let's hone down a little bit into the weapon that we have been given, and it's a powerful one from the Lord, the weapon of healing. I don't know about your experience, but mine is this, that I have prayed for many, many people to be healed, and they haven't been. And how do you deal with the fact that sometimes we pray, and it doesn't seem as if God answers? Um, Some of you might know that uh, one of our grandchildren who is coming to this church and has found a wonderful home here, she's three, she's totally blind. She was born blind, and so she's never seen. Interestingly, um, she's very happy. Um, I think her parents and we are not so happy because we know what she's missing. Although that in itself has been a lesson to me from the Lord because... Sometimes I realize I am spiritually blind, but I actually don't know what I'm missing sometimes. (laughs) Anyway, Bella is blind, and of course, we've been praying for her ever since, well, even before her birth, and now that the Lord would restore her sight, because there are stories in the New Testament of Jesus restoring blind eyes and people who haven't been able to see. So far, he hasn't answered that prayer. It would be easy to give in to the enemy's propaganda that he doesn't answer our prayer, so don't even bother to pray. Or he doesn't answer that prayer because maybe you're not worth it. Neither of those things are true. I don't believe that. I believe that the Lord loves us all equally. There are no favorites. So how do we deal with that? One of the things I have discovered um, uh, over the last three years is this. The Lord has been speaking to me from Scripture about this. One of the verses I love is, I have come to give you life in all its fullness. John 10, verse 10. And the Lord said to me, you need to read the first half of that verse. It says this, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. I don't like that. So I prefer to home in on the second half of the verse. But the Lord said, you're missing something. Because there is an enemy, there is a war, and the enemy has stolen from you. Now read Proverbs 6, verse 31. And it says this, If an enemy gets caught, he should restore what he has stolen seven times. So I read that and I thought, I have an enemy. Bella has an enemy. He has stolen her sight. But I can go to the righteous judge in heaven and say, would you restore to me seven times what has been stolen? So the Lord said, why don't you just keep praying for every blind eye, every eye that is diseased, every eye that is not seeing properly, every eye that has a problem. And you will see, and I've discovered that seven in the Bible is the number of infinity. So I'm not stopping at seven times. (laughs) 
I have seen in the last three years more eyes with problems healed than I ever had before, simply because I'm on a mission. I'm in warfare now. I'm praying for blind eyes. In fact, if any of you have a problem with your eyes, uh, maybe we can just pray quickly today. Because I don't want to see stolen from people who have problems what is their rightful inheritance. So the church is raised by God to be like an army, bringing back to the Lord's governance what the enemy has stolen from him. And the weapons that we fight with, it says in scripture, are not the weapons of the world, but they do have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so what Anna's been learning, or we've been learning together, is how to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. And particularly for Bella, blindness, that blindness is a great stronghold. But when we don't see it happen immediately with one person, we will go on praying because God says prayer, one of his weapons, has great power to demolish those strongholds. So let's come back to the story itself. It's interesting that the man asks for money. In other words, he doesn't see Peter and John and immediately think, oh, they're great healers sent from God. I've got faith that God will heal me. Now, that's an interesting point because lots of people think that they've got to have great faith if God is ever to heal them. Sometimes the church thinks that people have to have great faith before God will heal them. This is a story that says that's just not true. This man looked to Peter and John for money. It's very interesting. You know, lots of people who aren't yet believers look to the church today for, effectively, money and practical care. And that's a wonderful thing that the church is known for doing that. You know, the number of human hours that are given to charitable works by the church is absolutely incredible the world over, including this country and including you as a church. And what you do in mercy ministry and helping the poor is amazing. And that's right. And it's wonderful that you're known for it. And more and more people will come to you because of the mercy ministry that you have here. But God never intends it to stop there. God always wants his church to offer the world more than the world comes to the church for. And that's what happens in this story. They, they ask for money. Oh, sorry, he asked for money, but what he got was healing because Peter and John had seen Jesus doing the same thing and therefore did what Jesus had done. So let's have a look at uh, what it says about this particular <coughs> healing. And what it says is that Peter looked at this beggar. There were probably dozens of beggars around. I mean, beggars were to a penny in those days and still are in many places in the world. But there was something about this one that Peter said, look at us. Now, I believe that Peter saw something in this man. What was it? This story is so like the story of Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda which was also surrounded by sick people and yet Jesus goes in and sees one person who's lame looks it says he looked at the man do you know so often we see beggars but we don't look at them 
Speaking for myself, I see the beggars at the traffic lights on our road. But as they come up, do I look into their faces? Jesus did something at the pool of Bethesda, which meant that he saw something in this man and he knew that he would be healing him. It doesn't say he healed any of the others, interestingly. My guess is that after that incident, he went on his way with the disciples and they all went, why did you heal him? Uh, what did you see in him? What was it, Jesus? I mean, tell us about how you did that and why you looked at him. And I think they just talked about it. It's really important for us as the church to talk about what happens as we pray for people. What worked? What didn't work? Why did that work? Because we're not talking about magic here. We're talking about enabling the Holy Spirit of Jesus to come and do his work. And frankly, I don't enable that very well. So you can help me as you talk out how you have done it and how we've learned together. I think the church is a wonderful learning place. So that, I think, is what was happening. And I think what happened as Peter and John went to the gate of the temple, Peter suddenly clicked back into Bethesda and thought, this man has the same thing as we've seen before. What that says to me is this, that even if I pray for someone and not much happens, it is actually a learning experience for me, which means that every time I pray for someone, I always thank them afterwards because it's been a privilege and also a blessing to me to be able to pray. Whatever happens to them, I have to leave that to the Lord. But let's honor the people that we're praying for and thank them for being able to learn with them how this whole thing works. So uh, Peter looks at him and sees something, and then it all happens. And the conclusion of the story and the explanation is it's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that's completely healed him. I said a moment ago that it doesn't necessarily have to be the faith of the person that's suffering. And I think this is a context in which it was probably the faith of Peter and John because they'd seen Jesus doing exactly the same thing. They knew Jesus could do that. They had faith in Jesus. And so they, as the prayers, were the people who had the faith at this point. But it is faith in Jesus I was, uh, we were in um, uh, Mozambique at one stage visiting the work of Heidi Baker and uh, we were doing an ev- evening evangelistic event so they do that by showing the film Jesus um, which is an amazing thing in Africa because in an African village they have a truck, they have a generator they start showing the film and people come out of nowhere and suddenly there's a thousand people watching this film of Jesus and then at the end they talk about Jesus and invite people to come forward to receive Jesus and to be prayed for for healing and Anne and I find ourselves praying for a young man surrounded by other young men I don't know, he was let's say 19 year old and the other young men were sort of egging him on and he, you know, was not really sure whether he wanted to be prayed for he had a problem with his knee this is a Muslim village so we prayed um, in every way we knew how, 
and then asked him to try it out. So I said to him, now try walking over there and see whether it's any better. And he walked over there. He was still limping as badly as he was when he first came to us. So I found myself thinking, Lord, how do I pray now? And I felt the Lord say, ask him to ask me to heal him. So I said, I think that you need to call on Jesus and simply say, Jesus, will you please heal me? Now, I'd never said that to a Muslim before. The thing is about in Africa, you can try things out that might be more difficult in your own culture. I got a bit liberated from English reserve, in other words. And um, it was wonderful. So So he did. In front of his Muslim friends, he said, Jesus, will you please heal my knee? And then we commanded healing again. And they said, try it again, please. So he walked off, and then he began to accelerate until he was running freely without a limp and then ran all the way back again. said, it's absolutely pain-free, and I can move it normally again now. Thank you, Lord. The interesting thing was that all his friends, (laughs) and this was a Muslim village crowded around the interpreter who was with us because we didn't speak their language and uh, were busy talking to him. So we thought, what's happened? You know, we, we don't... It looks like he's been healed, but... So eventually we collared the interpreter yeah. and said, what's going on? Yeah. And the interpreter said, they all want to know whether they can come to church. So the next they morning... they all turn up on Sunday. When the truck went around to pick people up, flatbed lorry went around to pick people up to bring them to the uh, um, the compound where the church was he and was there that's why Jesus calls healing a sign and a wonder you see it was a sign to them that God is alive God is active <clears throat> and God is on their case and loves them and so they wanted to know more about God <laughs> um, see one of the really interesting things about healing when it happens it does make people wonder and it does make people think who did this and then it does make people more open to a conversation about the living Lord Jesus so here's a question would you find it easier to say to somebody can I talk to you about Jesus or to say to somebody well if you're sick I'd love to pray for you may I do that please I've discovered that many more people, when I say to them, may I pray for you that Jesus will heal you, say yes, than if I say, may I talk to you about Jesus, do. That normally gets a blank look. So uh, my mother, when I... I come from a sort of not really church-going frequently background. So we went, um, like many Anglicans, just occasionally to church. But then I went... uh, I was converted in my late teens to real personal faith in Jesus... My parents were somewhat horrified when I got ordained, and especially horrified that I was an evangelical Christian. And so, uh, nonetheless, because they were good parents, um, seeking to empower me into the life that I felt that I was being led by God, they, uh, you know, they, they stood with me. When we started to pray for people who were sick to be healed by Jesus, I remember having a conversation with my mother And she listened, and then she said, John, I think it would be wonderful if people were healed. Isn't that what people want and need? And it really changed her openness to me talking to her 
about the real Jesus alive today, offering mercy and forgiveness, a future in heaven as well as healing than I'd ever had an opportunity to talk to her about before. Healing is really attractive. It points to Jesus and it leads to Jesus. Let's just finish with this last verse. Jesus' last words. You know, famous last words. You need to really take note of them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. When people are healed in Jesus' name, it's Jesus healing them. And we don't honestly have the power or the authority unless it comes from him and he gives it to us. But it's still Jesus who heals So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, he says to the disciples. The disciples were obedient because Peter and John went and did exactly what Jesus had told them as they stood at the gate, confronted with the lame beggar. The question is, will we? Will we obey Jesus and will we carry the message of freedom and healing and salvation to the world so that the world can hear and live and rejoice in him? How that happens is what we're going to learn together. None of us has all the answers. Jesus does and Jesus loves us and Jesus will lead us on. Um, I remember going uh, with John just, uh, well, it was before the lockdown. We were invited to go to Texas. And we were invited to a wonderful church that was Anglican in Texas. And they were so thrilled that we had come because we were the real Anglicans. (laughs) Anyway, they were were doing everything by the book. And um, we had the chance to speak so we spoke I think about Jesus healing and being alive today and then they went on with communion and do you remember in the old days how in communion you used to come up and receive communion at the front (laughs) in another age it will come back yes (laughs) so this whole church which was full um, did that and as people came up and Uh, received the bread and the wine, one man who was deaf received the bread and the wine, had heard the message from Jesus and was healed. Just like that, taking communion in a Church of England in Texas service with the prayer book. And Jesus is doing it all over the world in different ways. And we just learn with one another. And we rejoice that he is the one who's still doing it and he holds the end of all things. I think we should yes, be we, praying we, we, now. We, we won't stop. We, we know that you pray for people who are sick. We get the bulletin now every week and regularly there's a commentary about somebody who's sick and let's pray for this person that's sick. We're talking though not just about praying for somebody who's distant from you, but we're praying, talking about praying some, with somebody who's within arm's reach. So the offer isn't just to pray for, 
but to pray with. That's what these two did. Just as Jesus had done, he'd prayed with those who were within arm's reach. And it's to those that he commanded healing, and it's to those that healing came. And this last verse basically says, it was Jesus' anticipation that every believer in every generation, in every nation, would learn how to do the same. Minister healing using the weapon of healing to bring God's love and something of his mercy to those around us. Do you know, just like it was one man at the temple, it was one man at the pool of Bethesda, there was a lot of joy around So I have to remind myself of that. Even though I might pray for a lot of people and they still have to go on their way just believing Jesus and, I don't know, maybe they're still suffering on this earth. Okay. But when there's one healed, there's a lot of joy. Let's just have a moment's silence. And what we're going to do is say that if you would like to be prayed for, for healing, at the end of the service, there'll be an opportunity... For that, we and maybe some one or two others will join us to pray with people who'd like that over in this part of the church here. But first of all, let's, in this presence of the living God, acknowledge that his name is, I am the Lord who heals. And we say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We ask that you will be known in this place, in this era, as the Lord who heals today. Let your kingdom come and let your will of healing coming to earth as a sign of your glory and your love and your power. Let it come in this era, in this church, in this part of North London, we pray.